Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Rail Baltica's high-speed railway project will integrate the Baltic states into the European rail network, creating an economic development corridor generating many benefits for the region. Getting such a massive project built requires the creation of a powerful, geography-enhanced digital twin of its infrastructure. Ian Capel, cultural geographer and Esri's international business development lead for European transportation markets, explains. So a project of this scope and magnitude has a large number of contractors and stakeholders. And you really wouldn't be able to coordinate all those moving parts without the framework of a geospatial digital twin. In other words, a a virtual representation of all the different components that make up a railway. Esri's John Lenhan investigates the role of geospatial technology including digital twins and geographic information systems in bringing seamless and sustainable transport to Europe. Ian, welcome to Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Great to be with you, John. Can you give us a brief overview of the project? It's a lot to kind of get your head around. It's a massive greenfield rail infrastructure project that's integrating uh, the the three-country region into the European transportation network. In fact, uh, they're calling it the largest railway infrastructure project in the history of the Baltic states. And so for the people of Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia, it means a significant reduction in in the bottlenecks and the gaps for passenger mobility and the movement of freight between key city centers and connecting to the greater European network, to Poland in the south and, and ultimately to Finland in the north. So uh, this is new infrastructure that will integrate not just rail, but airports and seaports and inland logistics centers, urban multimodal terminals, basically creating a sustainable economic development corridor. Ian, when you see visuals, I I really wish we could do visuals in this podcast. When you see a map of how Rail Baltica will connect key locations across Northern Europe via rail, the, the need is obvious. Can you give us some examples of what that means for these countries and the and kind of the communities and the population um, that live there? Yeah, uh, it's going to reduce reliance on road and air and water transport, which are more dirty than rail transport. It's going to improve access to modern rail travel that we enjoy in the West and in the in the South of Europe today. Um, and you know, rail being the most environmentally sustainable mode, it will not only increase capacity for transport, but also at the same time, minimize greenhouse gas emissions. So rather than taking a lengthy road trip to get somewhere, you'll be able to jump on a high-speed train and and get to where you're going in a fraction of the time, use internet and work on the way. And it's something that I enjoy just yesterday uh, coming uh, from uh, Brussels to Paris. So this mega project plays a, a vital role in providing increased mobility in a, it will, will be an affordable, reliable, safer, and cleaner way while helping the region to meet the objectives of the European Green Deal, which is pledging a 55% reduction in carbon emissions by the year 2030 and ultimately carbon neutrality by 2050. So it's going to provide access to seamless travel between urban centers in their region and beyond and uh, result in shorter travel times. It also will reduce traffic congestion within the cities because these stations 
you're going to go from city center to city center. You don't have to get on the highway to go to an airport. Also, this is going to facilitate job creation and other economic benefits. It's not just, you know, creating a train train ride, but it's it's really considered an economic development accelerator. So to give context to the listeners, the the, the rail um, path is about 900 kilometers. So for our U.S.-based listeners, that's approximately 560 miles, which is roughly the distance between my hometown in Buffalo, New York, and Chicago, Illinois. Um, on a U.S. scale, maybe that's not as grand, but when you consider connecting Southern Europe to Northern Europe and all the Baltic uh, countries, it, it's a it's a pretty big endeavor. Yeah, it's uh, spanning three countries, which have three different languages and, and three different cultures. From the U.S., we see the Baltics as as one thing, but imagine that you're 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 putting in a network that connects Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Looking at the role of spatial analysis and understanding the benefits, you talked about you know the economy, the economic impact, startups the reduction in, in travel um, via car and in pollution, et cetera. What role does spatial analysis play in understanding those benefits? How does it help? So a project of this scope and magnitude has a large number of contractors and stakeholders, and you really wouldn't be able to coordinate all those moving parts without the framework of a geospatial digital twin. In other words, a, a virtual representation of all the different components that make up a railway. So the idea is to do it with a common data environment uh, so that the different stakeholders have access to each other's data. Uh, That means better coordination between the contractors, uh, reduction in errors, and and, reducing the need for costly change orders. So Rail Baltica has set a very high bar to create a virtual model of their entire plan and operational infrastructure for this new high-speed railway, including all the complexities, not just tracks and the switches, but the other networks that are part of that, electrical and water, even 5G and broadband communication networks, signaling networks, as well as the terminal stations and other buildings and, and all the other objects that make up this network. And digital twins also incorporate processes and behaviors that, that make up this infrastructure. I was reading online something that the head of design of Railbot said, if we can agree upfront on design solutions in a digital environment, we can avoid misunderstandings when it comes to implementing the project. There's a lot to that statement. In what way does a digital twin incorporated with geographic information system technology or a GIS help prevent misunderstandings and distinguish itself from a digital twin without GIS? As a GIS-based digital twin, it's providing a common locational framework so they can interrelate information uh, in both the built and the natural environment. So better enabling designers and engineers and construction workers and the operators working in context or in sync with each other. So that's really essential for good design and for careful engineering and for efficient construction and, and effective operations. And it probably speaks to the coordination across multiple countries, multiple governments that you were talking about earlier. Right. So standards uh, for railway operations are, are still in its infancy. You know, railway organizations, they've been around for over 100 years. I mean, trains trains are not a new technology. So they all developed independently. And, and they wanted it that way because, well, 
it prevents invaders from crossing into your border if if your track is different from their track. That's that's all changing now. So we're seeing GIS as the right technology to capture and store the diversity of data types and formats that that go into um, building these infrastructures and integrating with building information models or BIM and the asset management systems. That's that's enables them to provide the right data at the right time so that decision-making is more informed. So if you go online and do any research on uh, this project, every bit of communication uses maps. How critical is this aspect of the use of spatial? So, you know, Rail Baltica has at its core a commitment to digitalization and resilience, not just the tracks they're going to build, but of the energy systems and the electric vehicle charging that's going to be put into the train stations of using renewable resources. So with the electrified track, they're going to be able to use green sources of electricity. They're also looking at cybersecurity and environmental monitoring sensors, vehicle identification, and, and many other emerging technologies for managing and maintaining this infrastructure. So that means big data, and using machine learning algorithms so that they can basically detect anomalies in real time or near real time. And that's that's really what's necessary for predictive maintenance. Right now, our infrastructure, we, we do condition-based maintenance. So we kind of wait for things to break and then we go and fix it. It's so it's so much more costly to do things that way. So if you, if you can use uh, geospatial technology uh, with a dashboard to say, hey, show me, show me the status of my, my network at this very moment. Where are the hotspots? Where, where are the alerts and alarms? And you, you can use these IoT devices to monitor the health of the network and see what's running outside of the normal zone and go and fix it before it breaks. So you, you're talking a lot about instrumentation and in, in IoT. This is a huge project. It's planned to be done in very few years, and the sheer amount of data to be collected could be overwhelming. I know people in cities where, you know, they're waiting for expanded bus routes. What have they done to make this rapid construction possible? Well, the planning really began in 2010, and they, they completed that seven years later, so 2017. Then the design phase began, and construction uh, started up in 2020. And so they're anticipating completion by 2030. That's 10 years. And some services will actually be starting before that as soon as 2028. So 10 years to complete the construction is really quite an ambitious timeline for such a massive set of projects across three different countries. It's, it's really taken many years before this uh, from the initial vision of a pan-Baltic railway. Uh, but now there, there's a full consensus within the European Union that Baltic states must become fully integrated into the wider European transportation network. We're, we're seeing the impact of climate change more and more severely, you know, with what's happening with, with fires and floods and you name it. It's happening all over the world, in fact. But in Europe, I think the thinking is, is more advanced and, and, and people realize, uh, you know, that we need to do something. And having a greener, more efficient, more effective transportation network, I think everybody agrees they don't want to have to commute long distances in their very expensive uh, gas guzzling car anymore. They, 
Europeans are used to jumping on a train um, to get to get somewhere. So investing in this, uh, there there is consensus, and so that there are not the kind of barriers that we see being thrown up in other cultures. The the not my backyard uh, type of resistance. I think everybody realizes that this is for the greater good, and um, they want more of it. Yes. So, Ian, the trains on these tracks are electric. They're going to travel at 150 plus miles per hour, sustainable rail, sustainable rail travel. What's sustainable about this effort? And does it require a complete overhaul of everything that's in place in terms of the rail system? It's it's not a total change. It's just more of what people already realize as being um, the future of, of transport. When you take a train trip, you don't have to go a long distance away and go through a rigorous security process. You can just jump on a train, log into internet, get a snack. If you're in first class, you know they'll even bring you a meal without you asking for it. People are getting used to that. That is the future for travel. And I have to say that a lot of people like that. So it's, it's not an overnight process. This has happened bit by bit. We're starting to see overnight trains coming back. There's kind of a renaissance of the sleeper train. It's part of the experience, you know, to get there by train, not have to check into a hotel and just arrive into another city um, when you wake up in the morning. So this is this is kind of a train culture that I think has has really taken hold. And I keep mentioning trains, but the other modes are, are advancing as well. Um, so you talk about train culture and, and the growth and the, the resurgence of train, train culture in Europe. Um, is this feasible in the U.S.? I mean, we've been talking about a high-speed train between San Francisco and L.A. for, for I want to say, decades. It is absolutely feasible. I mean, if you ask the president, he, he has a nickname because he used to commute from Delaware to Washington, D.C. on a weekly basis. There's a guy that, that knows what, what it's like, but you need to have a network that's dependable and uh, well-maintained. And that's a, that's been an issue in the United States. I mean, bridges and tunnels and other transportation infrastructure have been largely neglected. And, you know, that that's really going to be the, the major uh, rub is, is getting people to put public funding, you know, uh, tax dollars in, into the maintenance and operation of this infrastructure. So with that in mind, I mean, there, are there other countries doing something similar if, if on a smaller scale? And if so, can you share any information on those? I recently uh, did an article about the Cross River uh, Rail that's running under the Central Business District of uh, Brisbane in, in Australia. They have done a phenomenal job putting that infrastructure in, and they learned from the experience of others that went before them. And, and what they learned was that they need to have a consistent way of exchanging data between the contractors uh, rather than um, just, just leaving it up to the contractors to deliver their information products. So by, by learning from that lesson, they were able to achieve huge savings and higher quality products from their contractors. It's gotten to the point where it's, it, it's spreading to now that they have the, the train line under the city, uh, all the stations ha- are are in they are economic development opportunities and so they're using GIS and other technologies 
to to build a digital twin about the the surroundings of those stations and and they're even in it, using gaming to have an immersive experience to better understand you know what that environment is like so when they're doing designs you know they're they're doing it in a way that that's more informed yeah so those those stations essentially become gathering places and, and retail centers on their own that's right. They become drivers of of culture and and economic development. I mean, the the uh, real estate rates go up when there's a, a station coming in. Uh, it's not considered a negative. You know, stations that have been neglected um, attract negative commerce. We, we, you can totally turn that around. And I, I think we've seen that in the U.S., uh, where a new station comes in, and it it suddenly becomes a, a place where people can go without having to find an expensive parking spot. So there there are many projects in France. There's the the, the Grand Paris Express, which is considered Europe's largest infrastructure project right now, significantly expanding the extent of the Paris metro system. And what it's doing is it's linking to underserved parts of the region. So it's it's a, an engine for urban revitalization. In, and then it will reduce traffic congestion into Paris. So that's that's another project. And there are dozens of these projects happening all around Europe and other regions. So we talked a lot about rail, uh, Baltic. What can other countries take away from public transportation and, and the, the broader planning of multimodal transportation from this project? By adopting a kind of a geographic approach or using developing a digital twin, they can, and it doesn't have to be a massive um, infrastructure project. There are lots of smaller projects that can benefit from applying technology so that the designers and, and the contractors, uh, construction uh, stakeholders are, are just doing their job in a way that is more informed. They're, they are building in context with the environment. They're building or designing um, in a more collaborative way by exchanging uh, data by by taking data from different sources, you know, from aerial photos and from drones and and even satellite images for large scale projects, and then s- seaming that together with um, data feeds, uh, you know, real time information systems and and so on. The the technology out there is is just really a boon to to these developers to to be able to build infrastructure in a better way. To restate that, so any industry that needs to collaborate across multiple stakeholders that is focused on design and building new infrastructure, um, buildings, et cetera, and that have to collect and consolidate massive amounts of data can really take some of the ideas behind Rail Baltic and apply those to their uh, business. It's exciting to see the application of current and emerging technologies applied to infrastructure, designing infrastructure that's meant to be used for decades into the future. So it's not just these one-offs, right? Well, contractors, you know, it, their job is to dig up a road and then they patch it up and, you know, a week later, another contractor comes and digs up the same road. So this this dig once infrastructure is, 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 a, um, is really compelling. Estonia became the first nation to hold legally binding general elections over the internet. And this year, more than half of the votes for parliamentary elections were cast over the internet. So they have a they have a history of 
leapfrogging the rest of us uh, by using the latest and greatest technologies as they become available. And in a lot of cases, those those communities, and, and I, I assume Rail Baltica, is also able to deliver a higher level of service based on expectations, and therefore, they have a lot more people wanting to, to use the, that mode of transportation or a lot more people wanting to move into that community. They, they have set a very high bar for themselves. Uh, they've been hiring the best of the best from around the world. They have uh, contractors from virtually every, every corner of the world um, helping them. So I, 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 I'm very enthusiastic about this very ambitious project. Well, Ian, this is super exciting, and, and I can't wait to have you back on the podcast to talk about the new or the next uh, really exciting project in rail or more broadly in, in the transportation space. So thank you so much, and I'm going to keep an eye on Rail Baltica moving forward. Thank you, John. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Air podcast. And thanks to Ian Capel for explaining how Rail Baltica's use of geospatial technology promises to transform European rail travel. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.